Surrender don't come natural to me I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want Than take what you give that I need And I'm falling down, falling on my knees Hey guys, you ever heard that song? It's a Rich Mullen song the chorus goes, so hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Morning. This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. We are in the middle of a multi-part series, multi-episode series called Hearing God, and this is episode 11. And today we're going to talk about suffering and surrender. I like that line in that Rich Mullins song. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rich Mullins. He's, he's come and gone for a while. He was a, a Christian musician, artist in... Uh, I'm trying to think, probably started to reach popularity in the 80s. Anyway, I've always liked that lyric. Surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you need. I take what you give that I need. Um, there's another line in the song. It says, uh, actually, let me look it up. It says, uh, I wake up in the night and feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul. I swear there must be blisters on my heart. <laughs> Man, I really like this song, you know. This is, this is a guy, I, I really loved Rich Mullen's heart. This is a guy who wrestled with God, who struggled, who suffered. He understood that, man, this Christianity thing ain't always quaint. Hey, that rhymes. It ain't always quaint. It ain't always easy. There's struggle and there's suffering. But I think, I think that surprises us. I think we're always surprised by struggle. I think we, um, I think we expect when we come to God, that God's going to make our life easy. Like, I, I think, you know, God wants to bring us to heaven, right? Heaven is everything good. And so we kind of are told that, you know, we start to walk with God and God wants to bless us, right? And so we can get all these ideas about what it means to be walking with God towards heaven and to be blessed. Sometimes we translate the idea of God's blessing into our cultural ideas of the good life. The American dream, right? Whatever culture you're you live in, I don't know if it's Western or American, but, you know, every culture has its ideals about what it means to achieve success, what it means to live the good life. But generally, I would say our expectations are always that um, things should be easy, comfortable, smooth, right? Things should go well. And when we come to God, we come to God often with um, the expectation of things that aren't of God. The expectation for life that hasn't necessarily been given to us by God. And remember, um, I think it was uh, episode 
8 and 9. I, what I talked about. I talked about how we are conditioned by a system that is not of God. And so we have to learn to be acclimated to God's system. And I, I talked about the twisties and yips and just how disorienting it can be. Well, that's partly why we come to God with all these ideas about what God should do, who God should be, how God should make our life easy and smooth and comfortable. I like to say, God is comforting, but not always comfortable. And uh, I really like this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's actually, so it's, it's from his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's when Lucy and, and her brother, her, her brother's sister, they've entered into Narnia, I think for the first time, maybe the second time, but they're in there like for the first time long term. And they're, uh, they're with the Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking to them about Aslan. And Lucy's asking questions, and she said, they're telling Lucy he's a lion, and she's like, oh, well, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's like, goodness, no, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. Sometimes I think we'd rather safe than good, but... God wants to lead us to good things. And sometimes that takes suffering and surrender. It takes struggle. Like, I, I like that, you know, Rich Mullins, he says, it's like it's so hot inside my heart. There must be blisters on my soul. Right? He's talking about struggle. He's wrestling. And he says, surrender doesn't come natural to me. And sometimes oh, I fight you for what I don't want instead of just taking what you give that I really need. Like God's trying to always give us good things, right? Ooh. I'm about three feet from a bunny rabbit right now. He's just sitting and nibbling. I think it's pretty cool because he's not running away. Hey, buddy. You know, most of the time they see you coming a long way away and they don't, they run. So he's he's abiding my presence. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, by the way, I am on the trails. It's early morning. And um, here we are. And it's Mr. Bunny, right? Mr. Beaver and Mr. Bunny. <laughs> he's not talking to me like Mr. Beaver from, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Um. I just think we're surprised. I almost think we're surprised every time we struggle when we're walking with God. We're like, hey, what? What's going on? I thought this would, I thought, look, I came to you. I gave my life to you. You know, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And and I thought this would, you know, answer all the questions, solve all the problems, make my life easy and good. And then... Subtly, maybe, maybe not. Jesus says, uh, remember that thing? That, you know, thing? And we're like, what? What? That thing? Look over, the, you know that thing that hangs at the center behind the stage in your church? Uh, what? What is it, Jesus? You know that thing that I had to take up? That thing that I headed towards my whole life? Oh, oh, you mean the cross? <laughs> yeah, you, you remember that thing. You remember how that's central to my whole message? If you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross. Remember that? What do you think the cross represents? Suffering. 
surrender. Um, there's an interesting story. So I'm reading in the book of Acts. And I see this the same kind of conversation between the Apostle Paul and some of the people that were around him. This conversation about suffering. It's so interesting. I, I, I think, and remember, we're talking about hearing God. So this is a, this is a story. It's, a, it's spread out through a couple chapters in the book of Acts, chapter 20 and chapter 21. This is a story also about some people who are hearing God. Paul's hearing God about a direction. And other people, there's other people that, that also hear God about Paul's direction. But they have very different interpretations about what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. So this is pretty cool because we're talking about hearing God. But I want to I want to illuminate something about when it comes to hear God to hearing God that's interesting, and you know a part a part of what I want to illuminate is like just because you hear God doesn't mean you understand what God's telling you. Just because because God reveals something to you doesn't mean you understand what it means. We always filter things through our own understanding, you know. Um, I, I love language, and so it's just really fun. Like, if I said, get the heck out of here, you know? Like, the words themselves could mean lots of different things, right? Same words, I could say, get the heck out of here. And you'd be like, okay, he's, well, he doesn't want me around. But I said, if I said, get the heck out of here, you'd be like, oh, he's, like, he's teasing, right? Like, some sometimes with with God, it's not just the words, it's the tone, right? <laughs> sometimes it's not just the words, but but there's... There's more that needs to follow a revelation than just the words, because sometimes what we understand from God's revealed revelation to us in a moment still needs to be fleshed out and understood more deeply. It's not a one-time thing. I think we, we do tend to think hearing God, like all oh, people heard God and it was clear and there was no doubt. And when you hear God, it's just clear. And I, I talked about that in the very first episode of the series about expectations, you know, it's not always clear. And sometimes God says something and it's got to be refined and revealed throughout uh, or through a process through over time. Um, I can't remember if I told this story. Uh, maybe I did, but I guess I'll tell it again. Um, so I was driving home from a work trip to Houston, Texas, and... We'll get to and then I'll tell the story and then we'll get to Acts <laughs> and we'll we'll um, we'll see how this there's a group of people hearing God but they're all kind of interpreting it in different ways and this, and and it has to do with suffering. So anyway, I was driving back from Houston, Texas, uh, back from a work trip and I saw a billboard for the lottery and God clearly spoke to me and said, "You're about to win the lottery," and I was like, "Oh, wow." And so I've never played the lottery. I've never bought a lottery ticket. And so on the way home, I stopped at a... I pulled off, stopped at a gas station. I got gas, but I also bought... I tried to buy a lottery ticket, right? And I'd never done it before. I was asking the girl questions, and it just was confusing to me. And I was like, eh. I, I, I was just confused, so I didn't do it. I stopped one more time on the way home to buy a lottery ticket went to a gas station it just didn't feel right and so and I didn't feel a sense of urgency right God had spoken this to me you're about to win the lottery but um you know I I think I had enough wisdom to know that 
there there wasn't a sorry I got a bug in my eye when I was walking and it's just like uh, feels like it's out and then it doesn't um I, I think I had enough wisdom to say you know I don't, it wasn't like I had to do this right now right so I, I, I get home from my work trip a couple days later um, I'm sitting with this word from God and God's just like hey dummy I didn't mean that literally come on and I was like oh he's like what I meant was I'm about to bless you I'm about to bless you a lot in ways that you don't deserve it's gonna be like winning the lottery and like that was maybe three years ago and I can point to just so many different things like that have happened for my wife and I financially that were a great blessing and it was like winning the lottery just things that happened um but my point is the initial revelation i understood it initially in one way and then god had to correct my understanding and and that's okay like but just because god gave me a revelation in that moment it didn't mean that i understood what it meant and and actually even a couple days later after god kind of corrected my understanding I still had to walk in it and see how it was fulfilled and it's almost still being fulfilled like sometimes revelation is there's an unfolding to it we may have an initial kind of word and then we may have a greater understanding on the way but then as it begins to be fulfilled we we understand it even more right so Sometimes, this is just true of me, sometimes I get a revelation and then I start thinking about how it's going to be fulfilled or I start thinking about how I might fulfill it. And Sometimes I actually take it a different direction, whether in my head or in my actions, than God had intended. And so there's, it's so important when we're practicing hearing God that we not only, it's, we not only um, try to hear, but we try to let God lead in our understanding and in the action of it, um, uh, you know, I'll go. I'll, I am getting to acts. Don't worry. But like Abraham and Sarah were promised a son, right? And then it wasn't happening. And what happened? They took matters into their own hands. Uh, Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden Hagar, and they had Ishmael. And they were like, "Done. Thanks, God. Got it. You said we'd have a son. We we worked it out. Thanks." Well, it says, I think, I, you know, I don't have that scripture looked up, but it was like they got impatient. They, they kind of start, started to falter in their faithfulness and believing God could understand it, and then they took matters into their own hands, right? They tried to fulfill God's prophecy in their own way through their own understanding, and it caused problems. You know, some people say it's still causing problems because <laughs> the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael and Jews are descendants of Abraham, and they're still fighting to this day. <laughs> You know, they were fighting when it was just the two and still. So it's like um, Abraham and Sarah, though, in that instance, had a promise. But when they tried to fulfill it themselves through their own understanding, it didn't go so well. (sighs) Hearing God isn't always simply the act of hearing. It's also being led in our understanding and the practical walking in the promise and God has to be in all of those things all right so let's jump over to the book of Acts Acts chapter 20 
Let's see here. We've got a, um, you know, it's a really long passage, and I'm, I'm just going to uh, highlight certain verses. So Paul is, Paul has been going around to, uh, Paul has completed his second missionary journey. He has, he, after that, he had returned to Antioch, which was kind of his home base. And then he'd gone back again to kind of just strengthen the churches, visiting them. Uh, but he's also decided to go to Jerusalem. He wants to take a trip back to Jerusalem. This is the, the 12, I think most of the 12 or all the 12 apostles are still there in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem church. So he wants to go there. It's, it, at the, you know, at the time it was the center of the church in the sense that that's where the church started and was founded. It was spreading out, but the 12 apostles who lived with Jesus, who really had the most intimate connection to the life of Jesus, were still there. So Paul wants to head to Jerusalem. And so Paul says, he's, he's talking with some of the members of a church, I don't know which church, but you know about him going to Jerusalem. He's been visiting churches, and so at one church he, he tells them this information. He says, oh, this is Acts 20, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So he says, look, you know, God's shown me clearly. And it's cool because he says, everywhere I go, I hear this. It's affirmed and over and over and over. I only know that, it's verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. So he's, he says, he's compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem in verse 22. But in verse 23 he says, but also the Holy Spirit's warning me it's not going to be easy. And if you remember, when Paul was first converted, uh, when, um, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was that, when Paul was sitting in Damascus, blinded, there was a guy, I can't remember his name, um, I want to say Ananias, but he was told to go to Paul to to heal him of his blindness, and he's like, dude, that's the guy who's persecuting the church, and, and through the, whole, the Holy Spirit, God says to Ananias, or whoever, um, he's like, no, he's mine, I must show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Like that was said of Paul before Paul himself ever kind of began to walk with Jesus to preach all his ministry. Like God says to this other person about Paul, he must suffer. He must. I must show him how much he must suffer for the kingdom. Right. So it's like Paul's whole inculcation into Jesus begins with this promise that he's going to suffer a lot for the kingdom. Right, man. Okay. So, what was I talking about uh, in the beginning? Like, how surprised we are when we suffer. Because we've come to Christ. We think we're supposed to be blessed, right? We're supposed to, um, we think it's, sometimes it's supposed to be easy. But here Paul begins with Jesus. And Jesus is like, from the beginning, there's going to be a lot of suffering. For the sake of the kingdom. <sighs> Jesus himself told his disciples, in this life you will have trouble, but trust in me, I've overcome the world. 
You know, in this world, you will have troubles. Trust in me. I've overcome the world. Like, Jesus never, and Jesus also said, like, you know, no servant is above his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. He's like, Jesus never said that this life would be easy. Jesus said there was a cross we had to take up and take up daily. And Luke Luke says, take up daily. Like, the Christian life is walking nailed to a cross. What is the cross? It represents suffering. Like the whole of the Christian life is about suffering as we walk with Jesus for the sake of the kingdom. That's what, and so when, when you know, Paul is told from the beginning he's going to suffer for the kingdom, like that's not, that shouldn't be a surprise. Like this is the whole, pa- this is the package deal. Suffering is a part of the deal. But why? Why is it a part of the deal? Well, we're going to get to that. So far, so, um, you know, Paul, Paul reveals this in Acts chapter 20, that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but there's going to be suffering. Now, now, this is what, I think this is where it gets interesting for me, and as I was reading, I just was fascinated by this. So, so Paul goes on, um, like he's continuing to visit churches as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Um. And when he left that particular church, it says, they were really grieved. And he said, uh, let me see. I'm just trying to find that. It says that they were grieved by his statement that he would never see their face again. Like Paul's just like, I, I, I mean, he says he's not quite sure what's going to happen. But he's leaving this church and it's, he seems to think it's going to be really bad, right? I mean, this isn't just like, oh, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. Paul's like, I'm not going to see you again. This is when the stuff hits the fan. It's going to be really bad. I don't know what's coming, but Paul thinks he's, it's going to, it's going to end his life. I would say he's like telling him he's never going to see him again. That's to me, Paul thinks this coming struggle, which is uh, going to, he's going to encounter when he gets to Jerusalem is going to be really bad, so bad he's not going to get to come back to see these people. So that's pretty serious. Okay. So now he's continuing on traveling to churches and he meets um, he's at Tyre. T-Y-R-E not T-I-R-E. It's Tyre. It's a city. They were sailing. They reached Tyre. It says, We sought out the disciples there and stayed with him seven days. Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So here, here again, and when they when they're entire, this this coastal city. It says that through the spirit, those there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But wait a minute, Paul says through the spirit he thinks he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and they're saying through the spirit that he shouldn't go. Let's go on um, further because there's another. Okay. So Paul's traveling now to Caesarea. It says, We reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He would not be dissuaded. We gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. 
and then then they left and they traveled a few more through a few more cities and then they got to Jerusalem. So like here, uh, there's three instances where the Spirit is revealing through people. First, it's to Paul about that he's he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but there's going to be suffering. But then two there's two other instances of other people being led be, receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit. But their conclusion is that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Wasn't that weird? Like, why is the Spirit leading Paul to go to Jerusalem? And why are these people through the Spirit asking him, telling him not to go? The difference is in their perspective about suffering. Paul says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die. Like, Paul thought he was going to die in Jerusalem. He, his sense from the spirit of what was coming was dire and grave. And Paul's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I mean, think about that. If, if the Holy Spirit said, if you go to this place, you'll die. Or if you go to this place, it's going to be really, really bad. You're just getting this really dark, ominous sense from the spirit of what's coming for you. Okay, so say that's what, what's being revealed. All you know is if you go to this place, bad things will happen. Well, if you think that... We're, you're not. If you think that the Christian life is supposed to be easy, you would not go to that place. You'd say, "Well, God must be warning me not to go there because there's bad bad things are going to happen." Right? Well, that might be partly filtered through your idea that as a Christian, bad things aren't supposed to happen to you, right? Like God, if you think God doesn't want you to suffer, and God reveals that suffering is going to come if you do something, you would say, "Well, then I'm I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't go there because I'm not supposed to suffer." But Paul had the opposite understanding. Paul was clearly shown that he was going to suffer if he went to Jerusalem. And he's like, well, that doesn't, that's not the point. Am I supposed to go or not? Suffering is a part of the package. Paul already knew that. He had suffered so much, so many places. He'd been drug out of town and killed. Or they, you know, they tried to, he'd, he'd been stoned in different places. He'd been persecuted. People had tried to kill him time and time again. I don't know if this is before or after this point, but at one point he was taken out of the city and stoned to death and he survived. Right? Paul was like, suffering's a part of it. And all these other people are like, suffering, you, suffering's coming and you need to get away from it. The difference in the interpretations between Paul and these two other groups of people, groups of Christians, was their understanding of suffering. Paul had no qualms about the idea that suffering was just a part of it. Paul understood what it meant as a Christian, to take up your cross. These other people seemed to not have that understanding. They knew suffering was coming, but because of it, they, even though they, they had revelation from the Spirit, they, their interpretation was that he shouldn't go, and they were begging and pleading for him not to go. And Paul was like, nah, look, yeah, I'm going to suffer, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't go. And they're like, no, you're going to suffer. It means you, sh- you, you definitely shouldn't go. <laughs> suffering and the understanding of suffering in, in this situation was paramount. Paul understood that suffering was a part of the deal. That's why Jesus commands us, if we're going to follow him, to take up our cross. We're going to walk by a way of suffering. Why is suffering a part of the deal? Well, because surrender is a part of the deal. We don't get to surrender if we don't go through suffering. Like, let me put it this way. If everything's going well in your life, would you make any changes? If everything's working right, 
Uh, here's another way to put it. If your car is running smoothly, would you take it to a mechanic to fix it? No, right? No. Nothing's going wrong, right? When nothing's going wrong, there's no impetus to change. If our lives are going smoothly and everything's working out, what would we say? Well, God's blessing me. Everything's fine. There's nothing I need to be doing differently. I'm walking the smooth path with God. And bam, this is what it's supposed to be, right? And yet, what we're supposed to be walking in this life with the cross, we're supposed to be suffering through. Suffering is God's way of stopping us in our tracks and saying to us, something isn't right in you. We suffer. Suffering is a way for God to show us things need to change. When we first came to Christ, what was the motivation? We felt like something was wrong. You could say it was a kind of suffering that led us to repentance. We were convicted. We felt an, a kind of awfulness about something inside us being wrong. And we saw through the gospel message that we needed Jesus to come into our lives to try to teach us a new way of living, right? And so that new way of living, Jesus says, well, if you're going to follow me, if, you, if you're really making me your Lord and Savior, you're going to start following me. Well, there's a cross that you have to take up in order to do that. There's suffering. You've got to pick up a cross of suffering if you're going to walk with me into this new life. Like, we come to Jesus, accept him as our Lord and Savior means we've, we've decided to let Jesus lead our lives. And Jesus is like, okay, you want to follow me? Take up that cross. Let's go. And we're like, mm, um, what? That doesn't look so nice. I want you to lead me to good things, Jesus. I want you to fix the things that are wrong in me, and you're giving me something that's a burden, and it's painful. And he's like, yep, that's right. But Jesus, I wanted you, I want you, like, yeah, I want you to save me, but doesn't that mean you're leading me to good things? And Jesus is like, yep, that's right. But, but Jesus, you, you said you're going to lead me to good things, and then you lead me to this bad thing. And Jesus is like, no, no, the cross isn't bad. It's the means by which you get to those good things. It comes through death, burial, and resurrection. Well, can we just skip to resurrection? <laughs> Jesus is like, nope. No. No, you can't. Why? Why, Jesus? Why, why can't we just skip to the resurrection? Why do I have to take up this cross? I mean, really, can I just wear it around my neck? Can I just hang it on the back of the church wall? Do I really have to carry it myself? I mean, isn't it just a symbol? Can it just, does it have to be this big thing that I carry that that signifies a suffering way. And Jesus is like, you remember that Isaiah passage about the suffering servant? That was me, and you want to follow me. So my path is a path of suffering. Because you won't surrender to God if you don't know you're not surrendered to God, and you only know you're not surrendered when things in your life start to go wrong. The way of Jesus is... A way of suffering. It's not a it's not a primrose path to heaven. It's actually we it's we have to walk through hell to get to heaven. We have to go through the grave to get to new life. We have to die in order to be reborn. And Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot be reborn. What death is never pleasant. I, was a, I think it's Peter Tosh song. He's like, everybody want to get to heaven, but nobody want to die. 
<laughs> that's, that's the invitation of Jesus. You want to get to heaven, you've got to die. <sighs> and the, the thing is that death is a lifelong path we walk. It's a path of suffering. Why? Because suffering leads us to surrender ourselves to God. We won't let God fix what we don't know is wrong. What's wrong with us? What have I been talking about? The self-willed life. Living according to our own ideas. Like, what's wrong with this is we were born into a world that said it's all about you and it's all about you being comfortable and you getting what you want. And the egocentric life is defined by me, me, me. Whatever I want, whatever I think, my ideas, my desires. Lord, give me what I want. There was a there's a Larry Bryant song from the 80s. I'm going to date myself because he wasn't a huge, really big Christian artist, but um, he had a song. It goes like this. Give me this. I want that. Bless me, Lord, I pray. Grant me what I think I need to make it through the day. Make me wealthy. Keep me happy. Tell me what I miss on my never-ending shopping list. The song was called Shopping List. <laughs> it's like, give me the, like, we think God comes in and he's going to fulfill our fleshly desires. God told me he wanted to bless me. God, I want this heaven thing. I want this new life thing. Doesn't that mean I should have the bigger house? And uh, my wife and I, when we moved to uh, Huntington, West Virginia, we church shopped for a while. It took us, we church shopped for about a year. We went to this one Pentecostal church. And we liked it at first. It was a larger church. It was a nice church. It was well decorated. The sermon seemed pretty good. You know, the guy was preaching. And then they got to offering time. And there was this huge, there was this huge, you know, um, or, ordeal that they made about offerings. And, and they had this recited thing that they did every time. And it was like, we're giving and we're expecting God to bless us. And we're expecting checks in the mail and bigger houses and nicer cars and better clothes and, uh, and uh, raises at work and, and you know, and this whole list of like what they considered blessings from God. And yet Jesus invites us into suffering. Jesus says you want to truly be blessed with the life of God, with resurrection life. Well, then get ready to suffer. Why? Because if, if God simply came into our lives when we accepted Jesus and started giving us what we want, what would that do? Well, it would start to fuel the idea that we should get what we want. It would start to fuel the very thing that puts us in opposition to God, which is our will. For God to feed our will would be for God to keep us separated from God and His will for us. For God's will to start to shine through our lives, shine in our lives, be formed in us, we're going to have to suffer the death of our will. Scripture says the old man must die so the new can be reborn. There's all this imagery of death and resurrection. And I think often we just think in terms too small. Like, yeah, we're going to die one day and be resurrected to a new body. Scripture talks about resurrection in a very material sense. Our physical bodies will die. We'll get a new body. So, so we can think of the cross, the invitation to die, all these, all this language in the Bible as just that surface understanding. Like, yeah, yeah, death, burial, resurrection, I was baptized in the water, it symbolizes death. Like, that means that when I die physically, it's going to be hard, right? But I'm going to be resurrected. Like, we can take this simple, really 
minimal under, understanding of all these things and missed the biggest, uh, the, the biggest thing that all these things mean, which is to start to deliver us from the very thing that's causing us to suffer to begin with. And that's walking in our own way, our self-willed life. Remember, the kingdom of Satan is centered on feeding our desire to be in control, to be our own gods. So central to our dysfunction is the idea that we should be our own god. Central to that, central to that idea is that we're in control and what we want should happen. And so when we come to God and start saying, okay, Jesus, I've accepted you as my Lord and Savior. Now I want you to do this for me and that for me. And so you're going you're gonna to bless me. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what, here's what I, how I want to be blessed. And, and Jesus is like, whoa, wait a minute. Remember, I'm the Lord here. Remember, you accepted me as your Lord and I'm the Savior. So now you're trying to tell me how to save you. Now you're trying to tell me what to do. Now you're trying to be my Lord. Now you're still playing God. Sit down. I'm the teacher. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. You've got a lot to learn. Okay, well, uh, all right. Uh, well, how do I learn it? Suffering. Take up your cross. Well, is there like a easier way to do this? <laughs> a way that feels better? Oh, you mean it feels better to your self-willed desire for comfort and ease? No, because that's the thing that needs to be put to death. It'll never feel good to start to walk, to truly walk with God. Because so much has to be put to death. So much about our self-willed life has to be killed. It doesn't feel good. It feels like dying. If your Christian life is easy and smooth, getting everything you think you want, that's not the gospel message. That's a wrong gospel. That's the American gospel. It's not the Jesus gospel. The American gospel is health, wealth, blessing, money, bigger cars, bigger houses. That's the American gospel. The Jesus gospel is you're going to lose everything. If you're going to follow me, you've got to lose everything. You've got to give up everything. You've got to become a servant. You've got to become lowly. You're going to have to suffer and suffer and suffer. The whole way is a way of suffering because that's the only way you start to become surrendered to God. There's no way you'll ever hear God when you're doing all the talking. There's no way you'll ever get in tune with the intimate leading of God and His Spirit in you if your spirit is willful and in rebellion and trying to lead God. Suffering is integral to the path of Jesus because it's the only way our will gets put to death. It's the only way we learn to start to surrender our desire to be in control to God's desire to lead us into good things. So, what are the good things of God? What's God trying to lead us to? That's so much better than bigger houses and nicer cars. <laughs> and all the things we think would be good, which would be like, you know, more prominence and power and position and popularity. And along with all the good material stuff, there's all the, the clout that we would like to have that would make us look, we want to look good. You know, we want to look good physically and we want to look good culturally. We want to be at the top of the pyramid in every way, right? That's our idea of good. Like, our idea of good is backwards to God's. Well, what, what is the good that God's trying to lead us to, right? It's like, okay, man, 
it's kind of it's kind of discouraging if you're just telling me like you want to follow Jesus it's just about suffering but that's the path that's not the end goal the end goal is actually to deliver us from suffering so what are the good things of God what's God trying to deliver us from besides you know besides the overarching idea of the self-willed life like what's God really trying to deliver us from and deliver us to through the path of suffering suffering is the path it's actually God's goal to deliver us from suffering but it's through suffering that he does it God fights fire with fire crazy I know but what is it that suffering delivers us to that is so darn good that's the question because when we come to the cross if we can't see or when we come to the cross and the grave if we can't see the resurrection beyond it sometimes we'll falter we'll lose faith we'll be like all I see is darkness Lord what the heck is on the other side of this death that's so good because right now I'm just freaked out the suffering thing, it, no, I just don't, I don't know. Give me something. And God's like, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know the, the old bible King James word for patience? Long-suffering. <laughs> you know that prayer, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. All right? Well, I love that word long-suffering, right? Well, what does suffering teach us? There's a couple of scriptures. Let's, let's jump to those scriptures and then we'll, t- we'll, like, we'll talk more about like, what is God trying to deliver us to, right? Well, I mean, immediately the fruits of the Spirit are what are... That does not sound good? Love? Joy? Like, yeah, I want to be more joyful. But I thought I would be joyful if I got all the stuff. And God's like, so you think materialism, your view of joy is I get everything I want. Have you ever noticed? Have you seen all the people that have all the things they want? Do they seem more joyful? Is the divorce rate among the rich and famous higher or lower than everybody else? Is, is mental illness, depression, anxiety any different with the people that have it all than you? No, it's not. I mean, it's probably about the same, right? Why? Because materially poor people and materially rich people both are the same. Because it doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring peace. It's not the good, the good stuff that we think is the good stuff isn't the good stuff. So we, yeah, we want joy. But we think joy comes through material possessions. And God's like, no. And, and, and there's a verse in scripture that says, the, the rich man has more sorrow, not less. Because they have all this stuff and then they're fearful about it. And like, having stuff is a burden. It's not a blessing. It's only a blessing when you know how to hold it and you know that that is not your source of, source of joy and that's not the source of goodness. So we often understand like God wants to bring us to joy and good things, but we don't understand that it's not materially based. You can be joyful. Paul says, I'm content no matter what, whatever I've got. If I have a lot or I have a little, like I know the secret of joy, contentment, and that's not in the things I have, right? Sometimes we have to suffer to get that message, to start to say, okay, God, I thought the joy was over here. I thought that next raise, I thought that trophy wife, I thought the right clothes, I thought that would make me happy. And God's like, well, just trust me, it's not. And let me lead you to joy by stripping away the things keeping you from it. Let's jump, jump over. There's a couple of scriptures that talk about suffering. Oh, joy. <laughs> Um, James, 
James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hmm. Interesting. Suffering, trials, like, hey, it's really awesome when you face trials, guys. Oh, joy. Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, it's like, wh no, wh what are you talking about? Because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance leads to maturity. And maturity leads to not lacking anything. Also, if I suffer, then eventually, if I persevere through suffering, I'm going to get the big house and the big car. No, no, no. Not lacking anything. Well, that's, well, that's what I, isn't that what that means? Not to lack anything. I have all my material needs. I'll never struggle financially. What is the anything that God wants to give us? Um, James further, and, and this is still chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, blessed, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, again, we have such an otherworld-minded idea of God's blessings. So the crown of life, we think the crown of life comes after we die. The crown of life is just a symbol of a crown means you've been anointed and appointed this position. And the crown of life would be anointed into this position of the abundant life Jesus came to give us. It's not later. He's promised to those who love him to give them this crown of life. He's promised to anoint them into this amazing position of great things, of what brings life. What brings life? Well, the fruits of the Spirit. Like, forget about the fruits. It's the Spirit who gives the fruits. So what brings life? Being more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Being more led by the Holy Spirit so that we can follow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can lead us to what is good. That's what brings life. The Holy Spirit is the actual source of of all these good things. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that begins to produce in us the things that bring good life. Because good life is actually the presence of God himself. God's like... Um, there's a phrase in my uh, tradition, my, tra my denomination. It's, it's the vineyard. And it was found... The vineyard was founded by a dynamic move of the Holy Spirit. Um... <clears throat> and this is some interesting stories, but like the phrase is, sometimes we're seeking the hand of God, but not the face of God. It's the difference between the gift and the giver. Sometimes we're seeking the gifts and not the giver. And God's like, the gifts are good, but I'm better. Relationship with me is what really fulfills you. It's the presence of God that makes us fulfilled because it's his absence that has left us feeling empty, alone. Not with love, joy, peace. Like, like, really, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. What are you loving? Are you loving things? Are you, are you loving the way that God could bless you? Are you loving God? Like, love is not a thing. It's ethereal. It's abstract. But what it is is being in a relationship with a person. And so when it comes to God, love means being in a loving relationship with God in a way that you can begin to feel God's love for you in very direct ways. I truly believe and have experienced what it's like to walk through the world in the heart of God, feeling the heart of God, 
God's presence actually heals us because it's the absence of God's presence that has made us feel the lack of all these things. It's God's presence himself. And so I love that phrase in my tradition of seeking uh, seek, seeking not the hand of God, but the face of God. There's a story uh, when, you know, when the, the Vineyard Church was being founded. One of the, um, one of the dynamic leaders was named Blaine Cook, and um, he was, his wife was going to, the, it, the, the Vineyard started out as kind of a small home group. And his wife was going, and she, eventually she invited her, her husband didn't have any interest. I, I don't. He was kind of a, a nominal Christian, basically, and she kept telling him about all these exciting things, and he was like, mm, "Yeah, so what? Not that interested." So she's like, well, "Hey, uh, the one of the founders was John Wimber, and he's like, John Wimber's having a meeting. He wants to talk about leadership and and try to invite more people into leadership." And so he was like, "I don't want to go." He's like, "Well, it's at his house. He's gonna cook, and there's gonna be steak." And he's like, "Oh, I'm there, <laughs> steak." So he goes, and while he's there. Um, he just kind of feels compelled by God to get prayed over and the group starts praying over him and this lady prophesies through the spirit over him and says, you're going to weep but when you're done weeping you're going to be filled with joy. And he just started weeping. He wept for two hours at John Wimber's house. He wept so much he was so exhausted he had to be carried out. He was carried out. He kept weeping. He kept crying. He cried off and on for the next six months. Everything, like any little thing made him cry. He just cried and cried and cried. It was exhausting. It was frustrating. It was like, how do I go to work like this? <laughs> frustrating. And yet after that was done, out of that suffering and that time of oppression, that time of God's heavy hand upon his willful life, Blaine Cook came out of that time and he had a dynamic gifting of the Holy Spirit to see and recognize where the Holy Spirit was moving and to help help open people up to the work of the Holy Spirit in dynamic ways. But it came through what? It came through this transformation of a man through, through a cross, through learning in a very direct way that the fruits of the Holy Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience. They have to come through a way of suffering. It's not easy because we don't have any idea just how much our willful self-centeredness stands in the way of God. We've got to suffer. We've got to persevere through suffering because suffering will eventually produce the kind of character that God desires, which is a person who is totally and wholly given to do what God says in every moment, who's then more supple. I think it was in the last one I talked about the mind, and we have to get the mind out of the way, right? We've got to get our thinking, our thoughts, our self-will, desire to be in control out of the way. There's no way God's ever going to lead us if we're trying to lead God. There's no way we're going to hear God if we're trying to and, and hear what God would tell us to do if we're always trying to tell God what to do. There's one more passage I want to read. Um, Jump over there. Romans. Chapter 5. Okay, Romans chapter 5. I'll just start with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That all sounds pretty good. Not only so, oh, okay, wait a minute, but we also glory in our sufferings. Whoa, wait a minute. I like the whole glory thing. Um, I like the glory when it was talking about hope, but when it talked about the glory of our sufferings, that, that didn't sound so good. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's cool because at first he says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we're like, yeah, hope. I want to feel more hopeful, man. I, I, I'm so discouraged sometimes. Why? Because I'm trying to work my life out and I'm trying to get to good things and and sometimes I, it doesn't happen. I like hope. Give me some hope. I want some of this hope stuff. So he's like, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Not only that, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Well, there's the hope again, but he's saying, hey, you want to have your hope put in God, placed in God? You got to suffer. Because suffering teaches you how to persevere through struggle, and which produces character. And then character leads you to hope. Character is, the character that God desires is a person wholly given to God. We don't get to surrender through, except through suffering. You want to get to the hopeful position of knowing who you truly are in God and knowing just how much God has for you and following that path of God, which is so hopeful. Well, you, you got to suffer first because you're going to have to suffer. Like, why are you suffering apart from God? Why don't you have hope? Because you're trying to do everything yourself and you're trying to do what seems good to you. And God's like, that is not good. And that's not where I'm trying to take you. You're trying to take me to a place that, and I'm trying to take you to the opposite place. And no wonder you're discouraged. When things aren't working out, maybe it's because you're trying to work things out yourself. When, when you're not getting what you want, maybe it's because it's not what God wants for you. <clears throat> you got to suffer again and again. The way of Jesus is a path of suffering. The suffering leads us to the good things of God. And he ends in verse 5 with what, what the good things are. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Like, I think it's really simple. Love and hope come from the direct presence of God in us. Well, isn't God always with us? Yes. There's a difference between having the presence of God and being present to the presence of God. God is walking with, I, I believe, someone, some may disagree, I believe God is walking with every person all the time. I believe God is speaking to every person all the time. But, but people aren't walking with God. God's walking with people. People aren't walking with God. So we have to go through this path of suffering to learn how to walk with a God who's already walking with us, to learn how to hear a God who's already, already talking to us. Just because God is with us <clears throat> doesn't mean we're with God. Just because the Spirit is walking with us doesn't mean we're walking with the Spirit. Paul, in Galatians, in that same passage which talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he says, now walk, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He's talking to people that have the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, hey, you need to learn how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. How do you keep in step with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where the Spirit's going. First of all, he's talking to Christians that have the Holy Spirit but don't know how to keep in step. He's telling, you know, you don't tell people to do what they're already doing. Paul's saying you need to learn how to keep in step. with. Well, the Spirit's so crazy. How do I keep in step with the Spirit? It's like, it's hard. Well, there's a lot of things you've got to give up. you got to give up the idea that will that it will make sense and that it'll be comfortable that it'll fit nicely within your little 
you know, prepackaged idea of the good life, there's a lot you've got to let go of in order to start to keep in step and be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to hear the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in every moment we're often presented with the choice between what seems good to us and what God says is good. Beginning to hear God entails a painstaking process of learning how to let go of everything we think we want. Striving for what we want and striving and struggling to make God do what we want. And to begin to get ourselves into a position to start to listen and do what God wants. Yeah, it's hard to start to learn to hear God. You know what I, I realized after I'd started to hear God in more dynamic ways? Which I would say has only been the last six years of my life. It took a breakdown to put me in a place to be more surrendered to God. That was, talk about suffering. Um, but what I realized is like I look back at my life <clears throat> and the subtle voice of God was with me. I just remember specifically like I worked construction years ago I kind of started out with this guy at church he had a handyman company I started working with him and I remember being in situations where I'm getting frustrated with the work and I'm getting more frantic and I'm trying to make it work myself and like in those moments I had these uh, these thoughts would come to me about what to do but I was so frantic and so distraught and so intent upon trying to make it work and fighting I was fighting with it that I I didn't follow those quieter voices now I have my own construction company and now when things start to go wrong even though I may at times still tend to start to get distraught I know now more than ever if I'm quiet if I keep calm that I will hear God showing me showing me what to do my, when my will rises up in those moments of hitting a wall, my will says, you got to just smash this wall down. When I get quiet and I listen, God says, hey, maybe you should just turn left or right when you hit a wall. Um, I had this experience, I'm trying to remember, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, where um, I was trying to send something to a friend and I was, um, it was a recorded message, and it wouldn't send. And in that moment, I was like, hmm, there's a reason for this. So I, I sought counsel from other people. I was trying to counsel this friend about something that wasn't pleasant to speak, to say, right? And so it wouldn't send, and so I sought other people's counsel about what I should say. And they gave me counsel, and I had the opportunity to really kind of edit and filter and be more concise in what I was going to say. Like, I hit a wall in what I was trying to do. And I thought it was pretty good, right? One of my friends said, hey, it's good, but it could be better. It could be softer. It could be kinder. And and I ended up sending something that was better, kinder. <sighs> because instead of just trying to push through what I wanted and make what I wanted happen, I stopped and I said, okay, God, there's a reason this obstacle is in front of me. I'm going to wait, I'm going to sit, I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to also seek the wisdom from others. And in the end, I'm glad. I'm glad I hit that wall because it wasn't a wall, it was a left turn towards a different direction. 
when we're walking with God, we begin to see and hear and know that when we encounter obstacles, if we get quiet and we listen, God will speak to us. God is always speaking to us. It's not that God's not speaking. It's not that God's not with us. It's that we're not with God. Like, I realize it's taken me a long time to learn how to quiet my will and my self-centered ways, my own thoughts, to begin to start to hear. But what I've realized is that God was speaking to me before. I just couldn't hear it because there were so many other competing voices which were screaming and God's was quiet. And so I had to learn to get quiet. I had to learn to get my mind and thoughts out of the way. And guess what? The path of that learning was a path of suffering. Of having my will thwarted and being so mad sometimes and so angry and coming back to God and saying, why aren't you doing something? And God's like, well, why aren't you not doing something? What are, you, what are you fighting against? Maybe this is exactly what I want. Maybe this circumstance. Maybe you're not getting what you want because you're not supposed to have it. Stop fighting. Stop fighting with reality. Stop fighting with me. And I'm like, I wasn't fighting with you, God. I was fighting because this isn't happening and I want it to happen. And he's like, well, you are fighting with me because I don't want that to happen. If I wanted it to happen, dude, it'd be happening. Stop. Sit down. Start to listen. Start to actually seek not your own mind and will and wants and ways, but start to actually ask me what I want in this circumstance and why it's not happening. And maybe the answer right now is you don't know where to go, but this isn't the way. Remember, in the beginning I was talking about Paul, and right? Paul was facing suffering and people were like, that's not the way. And Paul was like, that is the way. And they were like, the way can't be the way of suffering. And Paul's like, it is the way of suffering. Sometimes we're not moving very well with God because we see a way of suffering before us and we're like, that can't be that, God. God, where's that easy, that smooth path that you promised? And God's like, um, I never promised that. I promised suffering. It's a path of suffering. It leads to good things. It actually leads you out of suffering because the more you walk with me and follow me and hear my voice and do what I say, the more things will go more smoothly But to get to that point, it's a long road. Walking with the cross, which doesn't feel very good because it's a long road to put the self-willed life to death. The path of Jesus is a path of suffering. That's why he calls us to take up our cross. And, you know, there's never a point at which we put the cross down. But there's a point at which the cross becomes easy and light because as we learn to be yoked with Jesus... He starts to carry it for us. That's the point. We get in tune with the Holy Spirit. We start to really walk so close to Jesus that he's like, there it is. Bring it in. I know it was tough in the beginning because you were trying to do it alone. And you had to fight through so many years of suffering. But now we're close. And now, guess what? What I really wanted was to carry it with you. Really, for you. Now we can walk more smoothly together. And now you're ready to do only what I want. Now you've been taught and trained by the path of suffering. And now I can carry you through much more easily and guide you more clearly. Things will get better. That's the point. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. <sighs> uh, it's not always a good message to preach 
that the way of Jesus is a path of suffering. But man, there's nothing more sweet in life than walking with God in every moment and having the sweetness of God's presence as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control with you. God is those things. God is those things for us. It's not the hand. It's the face. We see God's face. God is the greatest blessing we could ever have. God himself. God with us. Emmanuel. Amen. You guys can always check out more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or Google J. Randall Ori. Thanks, guys. Love you. Bye.